Chapter Twenty Four of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Twenty Four. Sometimes lolling upon Tanter's back, sometimes roaming the jungle in solitude, Korak made his way slowly toward the west and south. He made but a few miles a day, for he had a whole lifetime before him, and no place in particular to go. Possibly he would have moved more rapidly, but for the thought which continually haunted him that each mile he traversed carried him further and further away from Miriam. No longer his Miriam, as of yore, it is true, but still as dear to him as ever. Thus he came upon the trail of the sheik's band, as it traveled down river from the point where the sheik had captured Miriam to his own stockaded village. Korak pretty well knew who it was that had passed, for there were few in the jungle with whom he was not familiar, though it had been years since he had come this far north. He had no particular business, however, with the old sheik, and so he did not propose following him. The further from men he could stay, the better pleased he would be. He wished that he might never see a human face again. Men always brought him sorrow and misery. The river suggested fishing, and so he waddled upon its shores, catching fish after a fashion of his own devising, and eating them raw. When night came he curled up in a great tree beside the stream, the one from which he had been fishing during the afternoon, and was soon asleep. Numa, roaring beneath him, awoke him. He was about to call out in anger to his noisy neighbor when something else caught his attention. He listened. Was there something in the tree beside himself? Yes, he heard the noise of something below him trying to clamber upward. Presently he heard the click of a crocodile's jaws in the waters beneath, and then low but distinct, By George! The beggar nearly got me! The voice was familiar. Korak glanced downward toward the speaker. Outlined against the faint luminosity of the water, he saw the figure of a man clinging to a lower branch of the tree. Silently and swiftly the ape-man clambered downward. He felt a hand beneath his foot. He reached down and clutched the figure beneath him, and dragged it up among the branches. It struggled weakly and struck at him, but Korak paid no more attention than Tantor to an ant. He lugged his burden to the higher safety and greater comfort of a broad crotch, and there he propped it in a sitting position against the bole of the tree. Numa still was roaring beneath them, doubtless in anger that he had been robbed of his prey. Korak shouted down at him, calling him in the language of the great apes, old green-eyed eater of carrion, brother of Dango the hyena, and other choice appellations of jungle opprobrium. The Honorable Morrison Baines, listening, felt assured that a gorilla had seized upon him. He felt for his revolver, and as he was drawing it stealthily from its holster, a voice asked in perfectly good English, "'Who are you?' Baines started so that he nearly fell from the branch. "'Great Scott!' he exclaimed. "'Are you a man?' "'What did you think I was?' asked Korak. "'A gorilla,' replied Baines honestly. Korak laughed. "'Who are you?' he repeated. "'I'm an Englishman by the name of Baines. "'But who the devil are you?' asked the Honorable Morrison. "'They call me the Killer,' replied Korak, giving the English translation of the name that Akut had given him. 
and then after a pause during which the honorable morrison attempted to pierce the darkness and catch a glimpse of the features of the strange being into whose hands he had fallen you are the same whom i saw kissing the girl at the edge of the great plain to the east that time that the lion charged you yes replied baines what are you doing here the girl was stolen i am trying to rescue her stolen the word was shot out like a bullet from a gun who stole her the swede trader hansen replied baines where is he baines related to korak all that had transpired since he had come upon hansen's camp before he was done the first gray dawn had relieved the darkness korak made the englishman comfortable in the tree he filled his canteen from the river and fetched him fruits to eat then he bid him good-bye i am going to the swede's camp he announced i will bring the girl back to you here i shall go too then insisted baines it is my right and my duty for she was to have become my wife korak winced you are wounded you could not make the trip he said i can go much faster alone go then replied baines but i shall follow it is my right and duty as you will replied korak with a shrug if the man wanted to be killed it was none of his affair he wanted to kill him himself but for miriam's sake he would not if she loved him then he must do what he could to preserve him but he could not prevent his following him more than to advise him against it and this he did earnestly and so korak set out rapidly toward the north and limping slowly and painfully along soon far to the rear came the tired and wounded baines korak had reached the river bank opposite malbin's camp before baines had covered two miles late in the afternoon the englishman was still plodding wearily along forced to stop often for rest when he heard the sound of the galloping feet of a horse behind him instinctively he drew into the concealing foliage of the underbrush and a moment later a white-robed arab dashed by baines did not hail the rider he had heard of the nature of the arabs who penetrate thus far to the south and what he had heard had convinced him that a snake or a panther would as quickly befriend him as one of these villainous renegades from the northland when abdul kamak had passed out of sight toward the north baines resumed his weary march a half hour later he was again surprised by the unmistakable sound of galloping horses this time there were many once more he sought a hiding place but it chanced that he was crossing a clearing which offered little opportunity for concealment he broke into a slow trot the best that he could do in his weakened condition but it did not suffice to carry him to safety and before he reached the opposite side of the clearing a band of white-robed horsemen dashed into view behind him at sight of him they shouted in arabic which of course he could not understand and then they closed about him threatening and angry their questions were unintelligible to him and no more could they interpret his english at last evidently out of patience the leader ordered two of his men to seize him which they lost no time in doing they disarmed him and ordered him to climb to the rump of one of the horses and then the two who had been detailed to guard him turned and rode back toward the south while the others continued their pursuit of abdul kamak 
As Korak came out upon the bank of the river, across from which he could see the camp of Malbin, he was at a loss as to how he was to cross. He could see men moving about among the huts inside the boma. Evidently Hansen was still there. Korak did not know the true identity of Miriam's abductor. How was he to cross? Not even he would dare the perils of the river, almost certain death. For a moment he thought then wheeled and sped away into the jungle, uttering a peculiar cry, shrill and piercing. Now and again he would halt to listen, as though for an answer to his weird call, then on again, deeper and deeper into the wood. At last his listening ears were rewarded by the sound they craved, the trumpeting of a bull elephant, and a few moments later Korak broke through the trees into the presence of Tantor, standing with upraised trunk, waving his great ears. "'Quick, Tantor!' shouted the ape-man, and the beast swung him to his head. "'Hurry!' and the mighty pachyderm lumbered off through the jungle, guided by kicking of naked heels against the sides of his head. Toward the northwest Korak guided his huge mount, until they came out upon the river a mile or more above the Swede's camp, at a point where Korak knew that there was an elephant ford. Never pausing, the ape-man urged the beast into the river, and with trunk held high, Tantor forged steadily toward the opposite bank. Once an unwary crocodile attacked him, but the sinuous trunk dove beneath the surface, and grasping the amphibian about the middle, dragged it to light, and hurled it a hundred feet downstream. And so, in safety, they made the opposite shore. Korak perched high and dry above the turgid flood. Then back toward the south, Tantor moved steadily, relentlessly, and with a swinging gait, which took no heed of any obstacle other than the larger jungle trees. At times Korak was forced to abandon the broad head and take to the trees above, so close the branches raked the back of the elephant, but at last they came to the edge of the clearing where lay the camp of the renegade Swede, nor even then did they hesitate or halt. The gate lay upon the east side of the camp, facing the river. Tantor and Korak approached from the north. There was no gate there, but what cared Tantor or Korak for gates? At a word from the ape-man, and raising his tender trunk high above the thorns, Tantor breasted the boma, walking through it as though it had not existed. A dozen blacks squatted before their huts, looked up at the noise of his approach. With sudden howls of terror and amazement, they leaped to their feet and fled for the open gates. Tantor would have pursued. He hated man, and he thought that Korak had come to hunt these. But the ape-man held him back, guiding him toward a large canvas tent that rose in the center of the clearing. There should be the girl and her abductor. Malbin lay in a hammock beneath the canopy before his tent. His wounds were painful, and he had lost much blood. He was very weak. He looked up in surprise as he heard the screams of his men and saw them running toward the gate, and then from around the corner of his tent loomed a huge bulk, and Tantor the great tusker towered above him. Malbin's boy, feeling neither affection nor loyalty for his master, broke and ran at the first glimpse of the beast, and Malbin was left alone and helpless. The elephant stopped a couple of paces from the wounded man's hammock. Malbin cowered, moaning. He was too weak to escape. 
He could only lie there with staring eyes gazing in horror into the blood-rimmed, angry little orbs fixed upon him, and await his death. Then, to his astonishment, a man slid to the ground from the elephant's back. Almost at once Malbin recognized the strange figure as that of the creature who consorted with apes and baboons, the white warrior of the jungle who had freed the king baboon and led the whole angry horde of hairy devils upon him and Jensen. Malbin cowered still lower. "'Where is the girl?' demanded Korak in English. "'What girl?' asked Malbin. "'There is no girl here, only the women of my boys. Is it one of them you want?' "'The white girl,' replied Korak. "'Do not lie to me. You lured her from her friends. You have her.' where is she it was not i cried malbin it was an englishman who hired me to steal her he wished to take her to london with him she was willing to go his name is baines go to him if you want to know where the girl is i have just come from him said korak he sent me to you the girl is not with him now stop your lying and tell me the truth where is she Korak took a threatening step toward the Swede. Malbin shrank from the anger in the other's face. "'I will tell you,' he cried. "'Do not harm me, and I will tell you all that I know. I had the girl here, but it was Baines who persuaded her to leave her friends. He had promised to marry her. He does not know who she is, but I do, and I know that there is a great reward for whoever takes her back to her people.' It was only the reward that I wanted. But she escaped and crossed the river in one of my canoes. I followed her, but the sheik was there. God knows how, and he captured her and attacked me and drove me back. Then came Baines, angry because he had lost the girl, and shot me. If you want her, go to the sheik and ask him for her. She has passed as his daughter since childhood." "'She is not the sheik's daughter?' asked Korak. "'She is not,' replied Malbin. "'Who is she, then?' asked Korak. Here Malbin saw his chance. Possibly he could make use of his knowledge after all. It might even buy back his life for him. He was not so credulous as to believe that this savage ape-man would have any compunctions about slaying him. "'When you find her, I will tell you,' he said, "'if you will promise to spare my life and divide the reward with me. "'If you kill me, you will never know, for only the sheik knows, and he will never tell. "'The girl herself is ignorant of her origin.' "'If you have told me the truth, I will spare you,' said Korak. "'I shall go now to the sheik's village, and if the girl is not there, I shall return and slay you.' As for the other information you have, if the girl wants it when we have found her, we will find a way to purchase it from you. The look in the killer's eyes and his emphasis of the word purchase were none too reassuring to Malbin. Evidently, unless he found means to escape, this devil would have both his secret and his life before he was done with him. He wished he would be gone and take his evil-eyed companion away with him. The swaying bulk towering high above him and the ugly little eyes of the elephant watching his every move made Malbin nervous. Korak stepped into the Swede's tent to assure himself that Miriam was not hid there. 
As he disappeared from view, Tantor, his eyes still fixed upon Malbin, took a step nearer the man. An elephant's eyesight is none too good, but the great tusker evidently had harbored suspicions of this yellow-bearded white man from the first. Now he advanced his snake-like trunk toward the Swede, who shrank still deeper into his hammock. The sensitive member felt and smelled back and forth along the body of the terrified Malbin. Tantor uttered a low, rumbling sound. His little eyes blazed. At last he had recognized the creature who had killed his mate long years before. Tantor, the elephant, never forgets and never forgives. Malbin saw in the demoniacal visage above him the murderous purpose of the beast. He shrieked aloud to Korak, "'Help! Help! The devil is going to kill me!' Korak ran from the tent, just in time to see the enraged elephant's trunk encircle the beast's victim, and then hammock, canopy, and man were swung high over Tantor's head. Korak leaped before the animal, commanding him to put down his prey unharmed, but as well might he have ordered the eternal river to reverse its course. Tantor wheeled around like a cat, hurled Malbin to the earth, and kneeled upon him with the quickness of a cat. Then he gored the prostrate thing through and through with his mighty tusks, trumpeting and roaring in his rage, and at last, convinced that no slightest spark of life remained in the crushed and lacerated flesh, he lifted the shapeless clay that had been Sven Malbin far aloft and hurled the bloody mass, still entangled in canopy and hammock, over the boma and out into the jungle. Korak stood looking sorrowfully on at the tragedy he gladly would have averted. He had no love for the Swede, in fact only hatred, but he would have preserved the man for the sake of the secret he possessed. Now that secret was gone forever, unless the sheik could be made to divulge it. But in that possibility Korak placed little faith. The ape-man, as unafraid of the mighty Tantor as though he had not just witnessed his shocking murder of a human being, signaled the beast to approach and lift him to its head, and Tantor came as he was bid, docile as a kitten, and hoisted the killer tenderly aloft. From the safety of their hiding-places in the jungle, Malbin's boys had witnessed the killing of their master, and now with wide, frightened eyes they saw the strange white warrior mounted upon the head of his ferocious charger disappear into the jungle at the point from which he had emerged upon their terrified vision. End of chapter 24